With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hawkeye Nation podcast, HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs and Rob Howe with you once again. Rob, what's up, man? Got my taxes um, delivered to my tax preparer today. Oh, nice. So you can kind of get a sense of um, my level of procrastination. (laughs) Yeah, I'm right there with you. So, uh, (laughs) hey, a few days, a couple days ahead of the game. So you're all right. So public service announcement for the listeners, tax day, if you forgot, is this Wednesday, the 15th. So get your stuff in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So obviously a a lot going on. A lot has happened since you and I last spoke, Rob. Uh, The the biggest news, certainly, uh, in the Big Ten and Iowa and college football. I mean, really, the biggest news may just be the the teetering nature of college football as a whole right now it really kind of feels like it's it's on life support uh to use a terrible pun uh during a pandemic but uh the the big 10 had a huge announcement last thursday essentially saying we're not going to play non-conference games uh, if if we're able to play football and other fall sports this fall uh, it will be amongst ourselves within our conference and we don't know exactly what that means we don't know what impact that will have on the schedule if there will be an additional game, uh, how how the schedule will be laid out. But I guess just initially, Rob, were you surprised on Thursday when, when that news started to break? Uh, and then obviously the, the Big Ten and I was made it official and put out statements. Not really surprised. We've kind of been hearing rumblings about this being the possible direction for a while. Not, not a long time, but it, it had kind of been bandied about out there. Um, in the public. And uh, it kind of, I, I think, Andrew, connects to what we talked about last week. And then in terms of there not being one, you know, unlike MLB or the NBA or the NHL uh, or even the NFL, which hasn't started yet, there's no one governing body to say, this is our protocol. This is how we're going to handle testing and, you know, contact tracing. And now the Big Ten has taken control of that and said, we're just staying within our conference. We are going to set our rules with how we deal with this pandemic and this virus. And then we saw the Pac-12 follow suit after that. Um, And I guess the ACC and the SEC haven't uh, said anything in the Big 12 either at this point. But it seems like the prudent thing to do. And it also... Uh, has a fi- has financial ramifications because now Iowa will not be paying the 1.1 million to Northern Illinois and the 650 thousand to Northern Iowa as you know pay for pay for play games. So all of the Big Ten schools will be saving money for their pay to play games. So it it serves both of those purposes. It it helps you govern your member institutions. And then it also helps you financially with your budget by not having to give money from within the conference to schools outside of the conference. It sucks for Northern Iowa. I feel for Northern Iowa, but we all know this is the you know this is the hierarchy. This is the system. It's the haves and the have-nots, and we're we're going to see that in full force when it comes to dealing with this pandemic. Yeah, it's going to be you know, starker than than it normally is, and, and it usually is you know pretty stark. Uh, interesting. You you talk about the the lack of kind of a governing body, and you're you're exactly right. The the Big Ten essentially says, hey, we can control these 14 schools and and the protocol they have and the the 
testing that they do. Uh, we can have a, a uniform set of um, requirements and guidelines and, and whatever for these schools. And since we can control this, this is what we're going to try to control. Um, you talk about saving a little money. You, you also lose some home games, which which sucks. And and certainly for me, and I think for a lot of fans, uh, losing the Cyhawk game really really is a gut punch, man. Like that that's one. As things have gone away throughout this pandemic, uh, starting all the way back in March and, and March Madness and the conference tournaments, and then everything subsequently up through then up through now, um, even things you know the state fair, uh, the here in Des Moines, the farmers market hasn't happened. All of these little things uh you, you just lose and lose and lose and then to hear last thursday that essentially the cyhawk game will not happen this year that that's a big one to lose man that that's that's the the premier sporting event for this state uh every year um and, and for it to be at home uh, in iowa city it's just that that's a, a real kick to the stones for me rob yeah, I would agree. And I think most people feel that way. There, there are the, you know, that contingent of people, uh, mostly in the Iowa fan base who want this game to go away or be, um, you know, have breaks where I, so Iowa can play other power five schools because of the setup with the nine conference games now. And the, and the not, there's not a lot of wiggle room there for scheduling when you're trying to get seven home games a year. Um, I think from a financial standpoint, I don't think Iowa minds losing this game uh, because they're likely weren't going to be fans in the stands and if there were it was yeah. going to be a very limited amount and so from a financial standpoint that mm-hmm. from a ticket sales they weren't going to get a lot out of this anyway so losing those you know the three home games I just I don't I think they saw the benefit of not having to pay Northern Illinois and Northern Iowa yeah. compared to what money they would have brought in from ticket sales they definitely come out ahead in that regard um but it's interesting, and, and Iowa loses a home game with Iowa State because I would I would fully suspect that the 2021 Iowa Iowa State game will be in Ames. Yeah, I would agree. You know, and that's kind of the way they set these schedules up is is to have you know the same number of home games uh, each year. Or, you know, for for Iowa to have as many as possible. And yeah, I, I would agree. I think this series probably just takes a break for a year and then and then picks up right where it left off. You know, in Ames uh, next year, hopefully. Hopefully, you know, I guess fingers crossed, yeah. fingers crossed at this point. That uh, I, I know Dave Schwartz had a piece, his 10 sentence piece this week on HawkeyeNation.com was about, hey, maybe there is a way for, for a Cyhawk game to happen. Maybe it's um, in lieu of a bowl game or, or something like that. And so, uh, and, and you never know that there's a chance that, you know, the state legislature gets together and, and puts some, or the, you know, the board of regents, somebody puts some sort of uh, mandate on these two schools to find a way to play each other at some point this, this season. Um, as we've said now for months on this podcast, it's it's a fool's errand to try to guess what's actually going to happen. But um, I, I would like to see something happen with that. Uh, but I'm pretty pessimistic about that right now. Uh, as I say, it's a fool's errand to guess what's going to happen. I'm going to ask you to make some guesses here, Rob. Uh, I, I'm I'm guessing they're going to adjust the schedule. You 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 Google Iowa football schedule right now, and it, it's eliminated the non-conference games, but it's kept the conference games on their original dates. Um, I, I would assume that they will try to spread these out a little bit more, have a few more bye weeks. I saw, I think Chad Lysico had a piece where he was saying, you know, three weeks on, one week off, three weeks on, one week off in, in an effort to um, have those extra weeks where if, if uh, you know, you do need to quarantine one team for a couple weeks, you can reschedule a game on one of those bye weeks. Just give yourself as much kind of room as possible to get nine or ten games in this fall um, be, before things have to shut down. Uh, hopefully not, but, but may have have to shut down again in the winter uh, when we think that the spread will be even worse. Yeah, it's interesting to think that, you know, they're spending time and they should be putting a plan together that could just get blown up, yeah. you know, week one or two or whatever. But yeah, it's interesting to me how they're going to navigate this. And, you know, Iowa's uh, three crossover games are teams in a different time zone, obviously, because it's the, the Eastern Division, but you've got Penn State. At, a, at Penn State, at Ohio State, and then Michigan State at Kinnick, those are long trips. Yeah. Do those? Do they continue with those crossover games, or do they, you know, make it Indiana, um, 
I guess Michigan and Michigan State would be closest after that, right? Yeah. Uh, after Indiana, am yeah. I missing somebody? No, I don't think so. Because you've got Penn State, Maryland, and Rutgers. Right. So really, you, there's only so much you can do with those crossover games. I guess adding Indiana would make the most sense for Iowa if you're going to a 10th game just on um, based on uh, you know geographic concerns. But I guess if you're traveling, you're traveling. So you're kind of at risk anyway. So if they do go to 10 games, and that seems to be the push, although um, the Nebraska AD wants 12 Big Ten Ten games. I don't know where he's coming from. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting because I've also heard – some of the speculation, Andrew, is that they're going to want to front load the schedule with divisional games. So Minnesota was the first division was the first Big Ten game scheduled anyway, after the not three non-conference games at the end of September. Do you move that up now? So it's earlier in September, and then do you, you know Wisconsin and Nebraska. Most of the divisional games now are scheduled for November. Nebraska, Wisconsin, Purdue, I think, maybe even Illinois. So do you flip them and bring them up into September and early October and then move those crossover games later? How much do you spread out? <laughs> um, it's just – and I know we're getting, we get, we're getting dinged on this podcast for being pessimistic, but I just go back to thinking, are they really going to get through 10 games, whether it's in conference or out? And, and see that that's kind of where I am. And first of all, of course, Nebraska wants twelve games. They're they're going twelve and zero this year, right? This, this is the year. Yeah. This is the year. They've got it all figured out. They got hey, Scott. So Frost. do they count the? So does the does the sellout streak continue for them? Do they find a way to keep the sellout you know, streak they, going they, they even sold, in a pandemic? Oh, they've sold all available tickets, Rob. So yes, it's it's a sellout. <laughs> Every seat that can be filled will, will be filled. Uh, but you know, so you, the, do they release balloons? <laughs> do they have like a, like automatic balloon release? there oh, at awesome. Memorial Stadium. That would be I great. I love picking on the Bryce. You have to. You have to. Um, <laughs> I, I guess the first thing you have to determine, Rob, before you d- d- decide to move these things around or, or what the schedule looks like or whether or not to try to move divisional games up, is what's the point of this? Like, what What is ultimately the goal? Is it to right. have a Big Ten championship game in November in Indianapolis? And if so then maybe you do move the divisional games up to make sure you get those in. Uh, if it's just to, to play some games and, and make some money and you know give people an outlet for their fandom and for their frustration and you know give, give people something to watch, give TV networks something to, to do, give players a chance to showcase themselves uh, for the NFL, if, if, it's, if it's not championships, if it's not a Big Ten championship and not a national championship because we don't know what anything is going to look like or what leagues are going to be playing or you know if, if the Pac-12 decides to move to the spring but the SEC doesn't I, I guess that's kind of the first thing you have to determine is is what's the point of this what's our goal here and if the goal is just to kind of you know hey let's let's get as many games as we can we'll try to make some money with you know the TV deals we'll give fans something to cheer for we'll give players a reason to play then I guess you, you do move up those kind of geographical games you you don't worry about things like well I was supposed to play Ohio State this year um you can kind of throw the whole thing out and and realign it, um, and, and however you want. I just, I, it's hard for me as we sit here today to envision a scenario where all ten of these games are played, where all fourteen teams have ten games, where we have a Big Ten championship game, and where the winner of that game goes on to a, to a college football playoff. It's just so many things would have to line up in order for that to happen. So I guess if if that's not going to happen, it doesn't really matter. Uh, the the logistic part of it, other than can we get these guys on the field and play, and can we all watch some football this fall? Yeah, and, and there's going to be different levels of what people will, will. I don't know if appease is the right word, but satisfy people. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm sure there are people that just would be happy if they saw one game. Yeah. But then there's that disappointed of uh, disappointment of up. Oh, there goes the rest of the season. And I'm with you. I mean, we talked about this last week. What are you playing for? I mean, are you playing for a championship? How do you deter? deter you know, when they schedule when they. When they construct this schedule, and hopefully at some point this week we we get you know the the finalized schedule, or sometime soon they're going to have to do it at some point, uh, sometime soon. Um, you know what 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 are we? I think what we've seen to to date is they're not going to 
eliminate any possibility until they absolutely have to, meaning they're not going to eliminate that Big Ten championship game until they absolutely have to cancel it. They're yeah. not going to eliminate that college football playoff and sending some of somebody to that until they absolutely have to. So, But is there a contingency plan? Say you play – eight big 10 games and then the season gets canceled what did you play for or hmm. do you know are you are are you going to crown division champions are you going to crown an overall big 10 champion what did the games mean what you know other than people were entertained for that given saturday that given week friday night whatever it is and you had something on your tv to watch is that enough or do you need to put in place if this happens, this is what we do. Right. You know, if if we play half a season or if we play three quarters of a season, what is the ultimate end game for this? And what are you awarding to these teams? Do they get to hang a banner, um, or is it just about the money? Um, you know, there's so many unanswered questions to this, and it's such a fluid situation. I mean, we could get on this podcast next week, Andrew, and just you know find out. Okay, that's it. They're not gonna, yeah. you know, they're you know, there's been a bunch of cases at Iowa, and they've got to go into quarantine for a couple of weeks. And now, how's that going to affect this? We just every day we wake up and just don't have answers to what's going to happen, and then that just is, turns into the next day and the next day, and we're all just kind of I. I do get a sense now and i don't know if you feel this way that there's a lot of skepticism that this is going to happen at all yeah yes that, that that seems to be kind of the overwhelming it's certainly over the last five or six days it seems to and it's be almost like people don't want to get their hopes up is it am yeah. i reading that right i, th- I think you're 100 percent right uh because i think people got their hopes up for things you know it's it's uh, it's the the way that we've dealt with this virus as a society, uh, when things started to open up in in May and June, uh, it really I think people kind of got their hopes up to hey we're we're through the worst of this and yeah we still got to live with it and it's still going to exist but uh, you know it's not going to impact my life in any real meaningful way or at least not on a daily basis and what we're seeing now Rob is that's just not the case we can't just forget it this isn't just going to go away on its own and. So I think to have the rug pulled out from under you like that uh, is is not a, it's not a fun thing to go to go through. And so yeah, I think there is a lot of just kind of bracing for. Okay, I will assume this isn't going to happen. And worst case scenario, and if it does, and if we get some of it, great, and I'll be happy about that. But I'm not going to get my hopes up to the point where you can pull the rug out from under me again on this. And, and in the middle of August, and they say there is no college football. Maybe it'll hurt a little less if I've been planning for that since the middle of July. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I think there are signs out there that that's the the general tone of fan fandoms in, in the country. I, I like we talked about last week when I ranked the excitement level of the games on Iowa's schedule, yeah. which then became obsolete a few days later. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the non-conference game was went out the window, and then you know the, later in the week I, I ranked the quarterbacks in the Big Ten, and we'll, we'll, if we have time, we'll discuss that. But I'm forging ahead with preview content for the season yeah. and I posted on our message boards and I'm and in inevitably there are people tweeting why are you writing this there's no <laughs> not going to be a season and I'm like well I'm going to keep writing until t- somebody tells me not to write and I'm going to continue doing that and posting that content on Hawkeye Nation but I do feel like there's that general feeling out there that people are very skeptical that we're going to see college football this it, year it certainly seems like it. and one of the things that's being talked about is is uh, well obviously we when we mentioned this you know moving the the season to spring and hoping that uh, whether it's a vaccine scene or just kind of, you know, people decide to start wearing masks for real uh, and, and things, we just have a better situation in the spring. Now that creates a whole nother layer of issues with, um, you know, can you have a college football and a college basketball season happening simultaneously? Um, you know, what, what does all of that look like? How early can you start in these you know upper Midwestern states where it's it's really cold in Feb, you know, January and February? What, what does the spring season look like? Also, a lot of people talking about the potential of a split season. So, you know, you, you squeeze in four or five games this fall, then come springtime, you only need to play five or six more games. That That's a really weird thing for me to wrap my head around. I guess the whole world is kind of weird right now, and, and we're, uh, the things that we thought were normal are, are changing very quickly. But it's hard for me to, to envision um, at least a, a legitimate college football season that's not played 
you know, in consecutive weeks. If we take two or three months off and then pick it back up, it's not going to feel like a continuation of the same season. And if you're Trevor Lawrence and they ask you to play in March, well, why would you do that? Or you know, any any uh, you know, a handful of Iowa guys, Larry Jackson. Uh, if they ask you to play in March and, and the NFL draft is going to be in April or, or May, uh, why would you put yourself back out there and, and risk more injury? Uh, I have a hard time believing that a split season is is the way to go. Yeah, and if you do that, Andrew, um, are there bowl games? I mean, right. you're talking about a bunch of venues across the country. Are they available for bowl games like they would be in December, you know, in, yeah, in January? Um, you know, logistically, can that happen? Like you talked about the NFL draft. Are players, you know, Justin Field from, you know, who's the, the marquee player in the Big Ten, the quarterback from Ohio State, is he going to, you know, he's a likely top five pick. Is he going to put himself at risk for Ohio State, which is going to be a top five team? How does that change? Are you, get, are you getting a true college football season when some of your best players aren't playing and then on top of that my concern would be for the student athletes if you're playing games in the spring how do you bring them back in the fall to play another regular you know a, a, what would be a normally scheduled season what what does that look like how much you know what are you putting these kids you know their bodies through if you play you know eight or ten games in the spring and then you bring them back for training camp in august you know to play games at the end of august or september how does that look? And good luck not paying them. Yeah, right, exactly. Going to Congress and saying, hey, we shouldn't pay these student-athletes when they're playing whatever it be, 20 games in a calendar year, 24 games in a calendar year. Um, that's got to be seri- a serious part of the discussion. You know, and then and then we start looking at, as you said, a lot of people pessimistic right now about the, the prospect of any sort of a college football season, and then what, is, what does that mean? What does that look like? Uh, Jamie Pollard from Iowa State said at the beginning of this whole thing, uh, no college football is, is ice age. That, that's the ice age. That's worst case scenario for these athletic departments and their financial situations. He, he again today came out and said, um, if there is no college football, Iowa State has $40 million in unfunded expenses over the next six months. So essentially, they're, they're, you know, they're required to pay $40 million in these expenses, and they will have no income coming in or, or very little income coming in uh, without a college football season. So what, how, what does that mean? What does, how does that impact? You saw Stanford cut, I think, 11 sports permanently. Yeah. Uh, you're going to start seeing that all around the country. Um, is that an option at Iowa? Are we going to start losing some of these, you know, non-revenue sports and and what does that do to a college and an athletic department? You know, it's easy to sit here and just talk about this in the lens of men's basketball and college football, but these these campuses and these athletic departments uh, are a lot more than that and and are we going to start losing things that that are really meaningful to people and uh, give give a lot more people than college football and basketball a chance at a college education and a chance at a, a better life um it's just it, every prospect is is dire and, and dim, uh, but no college football is going to put a huge financial burden on schools across the country, and I think we'll see it uh, affect in, in myriad ways. If one thing good comes out of this, Andrew, I hope it's the you know the acknowledgement and the realization that the spending has gotten out of hand in yeah. college sports. Yep. When you talk about losing forty million dollars. You know, there's this were there were there were no contingency plans for something like like this happening. There was no rainy day fund right. that with a lot of funds coming in. This you talk about coaches' salaries. You talk about these facilities that they're building and stadium renovations and all this money that's coming into these athletic departments. And now, boom! This one thing happens, and you know we're hearing about you know, basically bankruptcy or not being able to sustain when that money's been there and that money should have been, however you, you know, invest it without being, you know, just frivolous with spending. And it's just, it's gotten out of hand and that needs to be reeled in. And hopefully there's a realization now that you have a lot of money come in. There's got to be a rainy day fund. There's got to be a contingency plan for when, you know, catastrophe hits, which this is. And um, 
I just think they need to um, reevaluate. You know, coaching salaries is a big one. When you talk about, you know, guys like Jim Harbaugh making almost $8 million a year, that's unnecessary. Yeah. It's just unnecessary. And some of the spending that goes on for travel, um, you know, even with non-revenue sports, um, Andrew, I mean, I think Iowa softball traveled to maybe to Florida like two or three times last year and then Hawaii maybe. And and, I, and if people are listening and, and I've got these, these things wrong, but I look at like non-revenue travel and I'm thinking to myself, does this really, do they really need to spend this much money all, all around the country? You can't play more reason. And I, and granted softball is, is a, a and baseball are sports where we're in a cold weather climate and, and you, you know, sending them to warm weather climates, but maybe the NCAA could move the season. So you, you're not having to make as many of those trips. Mm-hmm. You look at, I, I think maybe it was gymnastics last year, uh, traveled out to the East coast a couple times, uh, you know, and it was just not timed. Well, it was like they traveled out there instead of maybe having two meets at the same time, they traveled out once came back, did it again. I really think that these athletic departments need to analyze spending and scheduling and reel in the the, uh, the amount of money they're, they're spending and, and maybe have a, you know, a, um, you know, a rainy day fund, uh, a, a money in the bank that you can use if something like this were to happen. Because who knows what happens? Yeah. You know, there could be a war for, for all we know or other um Godforsaken viruses that come along again, some type of plague or something like that. Be more responsible with the money instead of just throwing it around. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable. There, there hasn't been more foresight or more responsibility when it comes to that across all of college sports. And and you you do feel like the bubble is about to burst, and and a lot of things are going to change, and they're going to have to reevaluate the way we do a lot of college athletics. It just got got so big so quickly, um, and. For whatever reason, nobody ever saw it ending. And of course, uh, just like everything like that, it does end at some point. Uh, usually, not when anybody wants it to. Uh, it'll be interesting and to the see scary how they can thing is, Andrew, and you talked about this. I, the Iowa's, even the Iowa states, the Power Five conferences of the world, they're going to be all right. They're yeah. going to get through this, however they do it. It's about opportunities, like you talked about, for for a lot of kids at at Northern Iowa mm-hmm. or Drake. Or, you know, some of the smaller schools around yeah. the com- country, those are the ones that are going to suffer when those programs go away. There's going to be a lot of opportunities taken away from these kids that, you know, high, high school sports are really popular in Iowa and they should be. It's a great it's a great um, opportunity for for young people in our state. But they're playing a lot of them in hopes of playing at the next level at different levels. And when those opportunities are taken away, that's going to be sad because it's probably going to happen. And, and uh, it seems like it could have been avoided. Yeah. I didn't go to high school with a lot of D one athletes, but I went with a lot of guys who played at Simpson or upper Iowa or central or Wartburg, uh, you know, wrestled at places like that. A, a lot of opportunity given to, to through athletics and not just in the, in the big revenue generating division one sports. Well, is Grinnell, is Grinnell the school that canceled football this yes, fall? Yes, yeah, they canceled their yeah. fall sports. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's terrible. All those, those are. I mean, think about the seniors on those teams. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well, let's let's hope for the best when it comes to college football, and then we'll have to hope for the best again when it comes to college basketball, which uh, feels just as up in the air right now. It's, It's wild to me, Rob, that... Again, I think I said this last week, but when this all started in March, I I knew that it was going to last a while, and I knew it was going to upend a lot of our lives, and I knew that that things were going to be weird for a while. I did not think that we would be sitting here four full months later in the middle of July and have 
as few answers as as we do. Uh, we we don't know what's going to happen with college football, and it starts in like six weeks. Uh, college basketball is just as up in the air, and for Iowa. Uh, beyond the fact that Iowa has a team that is um, universally ranked in the top 10 in the preseason, is universally considered a contender to win its first Big Ten title in my lifetime uh, regular season, um, has you know, the the favorite for the player of the year maybe coming back, uh, has a, a guy in Jordan Bohannon who's going to break all sorts of records if he gets a senior season. Uh, beyond all of that, Luca Garza still hasn't decided and and you understand why he has now I think until August 3rd to make his decision and you saw a tweet yesterday a, a little interaction between a a fan and Frank Garza Luca's father who uh, is active on Twitter and is always putting out you know videos of Luca practicing and uh, is a good follow on Twitter but uh, the the interaction you saw essentially you know, puts puts a question in your head as to whether or not and and justifiably so I think you know when when we talked about Luca testing the waters the assumption was he would come back. He, he would go. He'd learn some things from NBA teams. He'd probably be told, hey, you, you may have a career, but it's not a sure thing. So if you can go back and win a player of the year and win a Big Ten and you know complete your, your four years at Iowa, you should, you should do that. Now it's, there, there's just so much more uh, to consider when it comes to that. And the biggest thing is, will there be a college basketball season? And if not... You're way worse off coming back and just sitting there for a year than you would be trying to catch on with an NBA team or a D League team or, or a European team. Um, it's just, uh, but anyway, I guess so. so just go through uh, what because Frank then deleted the tweet, I believe. But you, you like a great journalist, screenshotted it. <laughs> so we, we we do have it. Yes, and yeah, it's just it's uncertainty, Andrew. Right? We just don't know what the college basketball season is going to look like and Frank expressed that in uh, there was a fan that tweeted out him at him basically about you know Luca's impending decision uh, she, she said easy decision stay and finish what you started yeah um, you know with a couple black and gold hearts and a kiss so she was being friendly about yes it, um, which is good on social media be friendly <laughs> please and then Frank responded I wish it were that easy there's a probable there's a probable case that there is no basketball season at all and thus nothing to finish leaving numerous athletes with, with a quote unquote dead season and for number 55 which is Luca Garza for those that don't know his number a loss of an NBA roster at a time now where his value in the draft is high comparatively so that's kind of what we've talked about on this podcast and other people have talked about is, you know, it's not as easy for Luca to j just say, I'm, I'm coming back. I'm going to be with my teammates. We're going to make a run at the final four because we don't know. You can't say as we sit here on July 13th, the taxes are doing two days <laughs> that, um, there's going to be a season and what that season is going to look like. Are they going to go to conference only for basketball like they did with football? What are the chances? What do you think the chances are, Andrew, that we see an Iowa-Iowa State basketball game this winter? Uh, as we sit here today, not good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what's the season going to look it. like? Is there a season? Do they push it back? Um, where did I see – was it the – Junior, I think it may have been junior college. They made a move this weekend on um, the national junior junior college, like the NCAA version of junior college. They moved their basketball practice to, to starting, I believe, January 11th. Mm. So they've pushed their season into January at the earliest. That's when the practices will start. I don't think games will start in junior college till February. So does the and does the does um, you know Division One NCAA basketball? Do they follow something similar and push it back then? And now you're getting closer to when the NBA draft is going to be. How many games are going to be played? Would it be more beneficial for Luca to maybe go play overseas this fall if there's not going to be a basketball? If there's not, aren't going to be any basketball games till February, does he go play overseas? Play in the D League if they have that this fall. Um, it really – and I tweeted back at Frank yesterday from this tweet that's now deleted that I hope 
the NCAA does the right thing by the players yeah. and gives them the best picture they can possibly have. And if by August 3rd they don't have a clear p- picture, push that push that NBA draft decision date back even more. Make sure that these guys have the best picture of what they're getting themselves into this fall and winter. That's the only fair way to handle this. I think you're exactly right. That's a that's a really good point and, and well put. Uh, you know, you, you just have to be honest with them completely and give them as much information as they can. Uh, there's, I, I don't think it's likely that they will have a a real clear picture by August 3rd as to what the college basketball season will look like. And so, yeah, then you have to push that deadline. And, and maybe it's it's one of those weird things where the draft happens before that deadline happens. And if you don't get drafted, you can still make your decision. Um, it's 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 a mess, and it's too bad because I felt like I felt like I knew what Luca was going to do, and I felt good about that. And even if he had decided to leave, I, I would have felt okay about that. Um, you know, I, I, I'm never gonna to be upset with a kid for doing what's best for him or his family. Um, but to kind of have the decision taken out of your hands and, and to have it not be about what you want to do or what's best for your career, but what you have to do or, you know, what this pandemic is causing, you know, you to do. It's, it's just a shame that that he doesn't even get to choose whether he comes back or not in like a real uh, a real legitimate way. Um, no, and his whole process has been compromised from the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, when he announced he was going to test the waters back in, I guess it was the end of March, beginning of April, nothing has been usually, you know, the norm for these pre-draft, for this pre-draft process. He hasn't been able to go work out for teams. Uh, Everything is done virtually. There's been no draft combine. I mean, he's really hasn't been able to um, really enjoy and benefit from the actual process itself. It's been really limited for him, and that sucks. Stick with basketball here just for another minute or two uh, and, and talk a little recruiting. You you had a chance to sit down and, and chat with Trey James uh, from the 2021 class in Iowa, um, Target. Uh, what did you learn from that talk? What, what what's, what's the outlook there? Yeah, Iowa offered him on June 30th, I believe, Andrew. Um, he was formally committed to Wake Forest, uh, and then Wake Forest had a coaching change, and he decommitted from there. Um, 6'10", about 240, 245, big guy, more of a low post guy, uh, like, like Garza. Um, Kind of has a similar game to, to Luca. Uh, obviously, is not Luca, but that's really what Iowa's going to get now. They're going to get in the door of a lot of guys that are really good post players because <laughs> of you know the what we just got done talking about the the success of Luca Garza. Um, so he had met previously with uh, Iowa assistants. Uh, Billy Taylor and Courtney Eldridge on uh, a virtual visit, which is now what they're relegated to doing because uh, another casualty of the pandemic is a recruiting dead period that began in the middle of March and now runs at least through the end of August. We'll see at that point if they open things up for this fall, but I wouldn't count on that. So these recruits like Luca, not being able to go through the NBA draft process, they, their, their process of recruiting has been compromised. So uh, since that offer, he finally got a chance to meet on Friday uh, virtually and take a virtual visit with with uh, Coach Fran McCaffrey. They got to watch film together. Fran gave him a vision of how he feels he would fit into Iowa's system. So they're they're able to do a lot of things online. It's just not getting that face to face and not getting to walk around campus. Uh, he really enjoys it. He really loves Iowa. He thinks he fits here well. Um, I got the sense from him. And if people want to check it out, there I after he did a Zoom meeting with with Coach McCaffrey and the Iowa staff. He was kind of enough to do a, a Zoom meeting with me. So there's my ugly face on the Zoom <laughs> meeting with him explaining kind of, you know, what the visit was like. And he's got a heavy southern Kentucky drawl. So uh, that was entertaining to hear, you know, a different accent and uh, from a different part of the country. And he talked about how much he likes Iowa and how he feels comfortable there and how he sees it as a fit. But He's going to kind of wait. He wants to see, and, and hopefully he can get, you know, be able to come and check things out in person. I think that's what a lot of these recruits um, want to do. And in the 21 class, you have a little bit more time to do that. The thing 
that worries me, Andrew, just on, on a, a bigger picture with recruiting. Quite a few guys around the country. It's only happened, I think, with two guys with Iowa that have committed in their 21 football class that haven't had a chance to visit Iowa yet. Mm-hmm. But more of it's happening happening national. That worries me that these kids are committing and may potentially sign with schools without being able to visit campus. That's with all this transfer portal talk we talk about, and you know all the the movement that we see in college athletics. I feel like the NCAA needs to address this in some way and pu- maybe push the sign days back or do something to accommodate these these student athletes and the schools to get a better feel for each other rather than just you know maybe you know adding more fuel to the transfer portal and we don't need any of that no no we don't uh, yeah you can check out that that conversation between rob and trey james at hawkeye Nation. i also have um sorry to interrupt again um I did for finally, it took me a while. One of the guys that I just referenced who committed to Iowa in the 2021 football class, who actually took a visit here unofficially, unofficially. So (laughs) you could take unofficial visits in normal times and still get a walk through the facility and meet with coaches and all that stuff. Well, the dead period, you know, prohibits any of that. You can't meet with coaches. You can't be on, you know, in the football facility. You can't do any of that as a recruit. Joey Labus, uh, quarterback out of Ohio, and his family visited here. He got offered, I believe, around May 20th. He and, and within the next week or so, he and his parents just came to Iowa City to get a feel for the town and walk around campus without contact with anybody officially from Iowa. And then he ended up committing. So he's been really busy with summer workouts, and I hadn't been able to get in touch with him. But last week, I finally connected with him, and we did more of an in-depth view um, of what his recruitment was like, why he felt comfortable coming to Iowa. So we have that story on the site, too, that I would encourage people to read because it's a story of unusual times in not only in this country, but within college football and how it affects guys. What a smart way for, for families that have the means to do that and are you know can, can travel safely uh, to Iowa City to, to kind of go there and just get a feel for the town, even even though school is not in session and you're not going to get a chance to you know do all the fun things that you do on an official visit, uh, just to kind of see, hey, is this somewhere I can see myself living for a few years? Is this, is this somewhere I actually want to be? That's that's very smart and and, and very cool. Uh, some news- they're making the they're making the best of a bad situation. Yes. We've had we've had a couple guys. I think there's probably four or five guys I can think of in my mind that did what Joey Labus did came here and guys even in the 21 class that have and 22 classes who are starting to do they're doing this around the country. There was a. a, a Mike Mislinski, who's a center target out of Tampa, one of the top targets on Iowa's board, he came up from Florida and like you know hit Notre Dame, went up and through the Midwest and hit all the schools. He can't meet with anybody, but at least he can get a feel for the towns. Uh, Joey Labus told me he loved Iowa City, got to go to a restaurant, talk to the people in town. At least you get a feel for the environment you're going to, even though you're not able to see specifics as it pertains to your sport. Yeah, I think it's a really smart way to Way to go about that. Good on those parents and those families who, again, are, are able to do that. Uh, last week, Rob, you and I talked about how, in in lieu of you know, kind of waiting for the results of this investigation into uh, allegations of racism and bullying within Iowa's football program, uh, of course, uh, everything that has led to Chris Doyle's uh, departure from the program, and as we await this investigation, you know, you, you kind of talked about the lack of tangible things that have happened uh, in the last month or so since we've heard from Kirk Ferentz and players since we've heard heard from Gary Barta talking about this. They said a lot of the right things a month ago, but uh, just haven't seen a lot of kind of tangible things happen um, yet. Now that uh, we, we got we got something right, we we got a crumb of, of tangible stuff when when they announced that Broderick Benz uh, has now officially been named the executive director of diversity, equity, and inclusion for University of Iowa athletics. Benz, obviously a player uh, on some really good teams. Uh, what the end of the last decade into into the I think 2011 must have been his senior season. He was a graduate uh, graduate assistant for a couple of years, and then has um, had a, a role I think director of what what was it? Director of Development Football. Yeah, it was more kind of like a mentorship yeah. 
type role that Chick Egiasi, who's now with the Tennessee Titans, did for a number of years. Kind of, um, you know, somebody in the football building that's uh, kind of a, a mentor advocate for the players. That's that's cool. And so now, yeah, he, and he has been the interim d- director of diversity, equity, and inclusion. That title is a, a mouthful uh, since uh, what last August when that position was created. And Gary Bartik kind of talked about the creation of that. But uh, good to kind of see actually something tangible happen here. I think Broderick Benz is a guy that a lot of players uh, like and obviously have a relationship with. He's, he's still a young guy, and and uh, so, so I, I do think this is a good thing. Maybe not the um – you know, it, it, again, it's a it's a crumb of something tangible here. Uh, it's it's not not a lot, but it's something. Yeah, I mean, it was a good sign. We kind of had a hint that this was coming uh, when Gary Barta spoke to us back on June fifteenth, I think. Um, and we really hadn't heard anything, as you mentioned, from the university since then, uh, in terms of you know steps being taken to be more equitable and, and inclusive. Um, so it was nice to see that last week coming out that Broderick Bins would have this position in the athletic department as a whole, overseeing the whole athletic department and reporting to Liz Tovar, who's kind of the head of that, you know, the student welfare, so to speak, uh, in the athletic department. So this will be nice. He's, uh, you know, he's a guy that can help with all the programs within the athletic department, but he has a, you know, he has an intimate knowledge of what goes on in the football program, which is the front porch program for the athletic department. So that can kind of, uh, whoever's in that position needs to have an understanding of football first and foremost. Now the question for me, Andrew, is who takes his spot in the football building? Mm. Because I think that is a huge position position now for somebody to come in and be that advocate mentor within the football program and just kind of keep an eye on you know that that person kind of uh is a liaison between the coaching staff and the players when things need to be done or things need to be handled and academics and things like that that's a really important position they need to get that filled and hopefully they with you know, with the knowledge that there was a good chance that Broderick would move into this position in the, uh, you know, in the athletic department as an overarching position, that they were looking into who could replace him in the football building. Because especially with the climate right now and the investigation goes on, going on, they need to have that position filled. All right, Rob, our last 10 minutes or so here, I want to do kind of what we did last week and, and forget about all of the the pain in the world. Forget about the fact that we may or may not have a college football season and uh, we don't know how many games or what the, the schedule looks like anymore or any of that. Let's just assume there is going to be a college football season. We know that uh, certainly Iowa will play Big Ten teams in that season, and you have done uh, the hard work of ranking the projected starters at quarterback of every team in the Big Ten coming in to this football season uh one through 14 we will uh i I enjoyed last week just kind of shutting everything else out and talking some football so i'm going to try to inject some of that into each podcast here as long as we can still make this uh mind game that there is going to be college football (laughs) hopefully just when we put this when we put this podcast out we will just tell the people that don't want to uh, indulge in anything other than hardcore yes. sports talk. We'll give you the time of when this segment started so you can just fast forward through all of other, our other conversations. Exactly right. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll start we'll start with the bottom and work our way up to the top here, Rob, and, and I'll just kind of put these guys out there and you tell me why you ranked them the way you did. Uh, again, you can find this whole, uh, this whole uh, column at HawkeyeNation.com and hey, you can open it right now and play along with us. Uh, at number 14, the, the worst starting quarterback in in the Big Ten, Art Sikowski of Rutgers, a redshirt sophomore uh, who who was uh, poised to leave the program but decided to come back when Greg Schiano returned. Yeah, and uh, he played for he, – he was the starter, I think, for – I can't remember how many games his, his true freshman year – Excuse me. And then last year he played four games and then asked the redshirt, and that was granted by um, uh, Chris – who was the coach – yeah, right. My <laughs> mind is going. But um, so that was, you know, that was that request was granted. Um, but in his career, uh, 178 for 341 passing for 1,587 yards, five touchdowns and 20 picks. Uh, Art has a long way to go. Um, he was a highly regarded uh, recruit, though. So, I mean, the, the, the pedigree is there. And it'll be interesting to see if Shiano might be able to uh, – 
to get some more out of him because I think he's he's got the talent, big arm quarterback, you know, pocket guy, um, and they have a lot of good skill players at Rutgers. So it'll be interesting to see how quickly uh, Shiano can maybe help that program turn the corner because it is just it is just a train wreck right now. I, they would have they've won what like one Big Ten game yeah. in the last two or three years. It's just. It's it's almost hard to get your head around, Andrew, how bad they've been. It, it is. It, it has not worked out well so far for Rutgers in the Big Ten. At number 13, a guy that uh, here in Des Moines, everybody knows the yeah. name well, and anybody who followed recruiting a few years ago knows as well, Rocky Lombardi from Michigan State. Uh, it, it seems like he's going to be the starter for the Spartans, and uh, and hopefully we'll come to Iowa City with them when they, when they play inside Kinnick Stadium this fall. Yeah, people that are from Iowa aren't going to like me because of where I've got Rocky and where I've got Spencer Petras on this list. But I, it, it kind of just is an more of an, I guess, a commentary on inexperience. Yeah. And Rocky just doesn't have a lot of experience. And compounding the potential issues for him is he's got a whole new coaching staff and learning a whole new offense. And and what we've talked about in this podcast about not having spring football and not being able to have hands-on training with your coaches, all of the install for him has been virtual. He hasn't been on the field for, you know, to get to know this system at all. Um, From that perspective, it's going to, it's really challenging for him. I feel for him and hopefully uh, whatever they've been able to do virtually, he's been able to catch on to. And then, you know, whenever they, do get back on the field he's able to hit the ground running i got to know rocky during uh the recruiting process iowa had offered him i wanted him to play defense he wanted to play quarterback and he ended up at michigan state number 12 maryland starter josh jackson he was a uh, virginia tech transfer had a, a not great season last year for uh the terps but uh he is back uh and and has a couple of big targets coming back uh this fall as well yeah, he started nine games last year. Maryland's a touch better than what Rutgers has been, but not a whole lot yeah. <laughs> better. So uh, a program that really needs to get it going uh, now that it's in Big Ten. You know, in the Big Ten, it's just like Rutgers. It's in that gauntlet of the Big Ten East where it's got to play Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State every year. And now even Indiana's improved. So, um, yeah, tough. But I will say for him, he knows the system. And uh, – he is experienced, had some, you know, had some, has found success at Virginia Tech. He wasn't terrible there. So still potential there. Um, and like you said, he's got DJ Turner, who's a really dangerous slot return or slot guy coming back. And Dusan Jones, who's probably his best wide receiver tore his ACL uh, in preseason last year, should be back this year whenever they decide to play football again. Yeah, here come the boos from the Hawkeye faithful as uh, <laughs> we move to number 11. And you've got Spencer Petras, Iowa's uh, assumed starter this year. And, you know, I, I, obviously th- this is all based on just the unknown, as you said, and, and the fact that, man, in perfect circumstances, it's hard to to break yourself into being a starting quarterback at, at the Big Ten level and these are far from perfect circumstances that, that Petrus finds himself in. He's got a good cast around him, a solid team around him, a good coaching staff and, and all of that, but uh, un- until we see him on the field in a few games and really as we sit here today, Rob, his first game as scheduled is at Minnesota in the middle of September on a Friday night uh, without those kind of warm-up games or at least a warm-up game against Northern Illinois, uh, Iowa, um, it'll be interesting to see how this kid kind of comes on in a weird first year for college football. Yes, and unlike other players on this list, I have a pretty good feel for who Spencer is and who what his makeup is, and I feel like he's built for this. But you just don't know, as you said, until you get out there. And now the first game he plays is going to be potentially on the road uh, in a hostile environment. And I know a lot of Iowa fans go to that game, but it's still pro-Minnesota. And I would think, well, who knows if there'll be fans there. So what am I talking about? But, um, you know, he he really hasn't taken any meaningful snaps uh, behind Nate Stanley the last few years. It's really just been mop-up duty. He's thrown 11 passes in two years. Just really no experience at the college level at all. And then you throw on top of that that he didn't get, you know, that really important spring 
training this this year because of the pandemic um and i know i know other quarterbacks went through the same thing but that's why i i give a little bit of an edge and sometimes a bigger a, a, a bigger edge to quarterbacks that have been through it already and and aren't going out there for the first time um and i will piggyback this and pick a story that Rick Brown did on our website. He got in touch with Chuck Long just kind of to ask Chuck what he felt like some of the obstacles were for Spencer, given the circumstances going into his first year as a starter. Well, another guy in a similar situation at number 10, Michigan's Dylan McCaffrey, who's uh, had just, what, 20 career passing attempts backing up Shea Patterson the last two seasons, uh, comes in with some hype and then some potential. But uh, again, just the unknown of a, of a you know f- first-year starter coming in uh, with where we don't know what the schedule is going to be or what you know the the camp is going to look like uh so you got dylan mccaffrey at number 10 yeah and i won't go into great depth here and people can read kind of my summary of that but i think he and spencer petrus are pretty similar they're kind of in the same position mccaffrey's got a little bit of more experience they ran him out there as a receiver at times last year too i think and did some you know multiple things with him and shea patterson on the field at the same time so he has a little bit more experience but not a ton so yeah he and i think you can you can interchange he and spencer petrus they're kind of in the same boat number nine jack Plummer from purdue and man anybody who has a chance to throw to Ron Nailmore and David Bell uh, (laughs) has a chance to really have a good season. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Brom is uh, is uh, really an innovative offensive mind, perhaps maybe the most innovative offensive mind in this conference. And uh, it just seems like whoever he puts back behind center has success. And this kid, uh, Plummer, who got hurt last year and missed the end of the year, and and, uh, Aiden O'Connell ended up having to come in and start, I think, the last three or four games for him. so his season was cut short, but when he was in there, he looked pretty good, especially when, as you mentioned, he had Rondell Moore. So the the one-two punch, and they've got other skill guys too, mm-hmm. uh, especially at receiver. So a lot of weapons for him. He has a chance to – I think a lot of these guys have a chance to move up this list. It's a really – I think it's going to be a fluid list to see how these guys end up shaking out. Uh, Illinois' Brandon Peters comes in at number eight of your list of uh, the, the top Big Ten quarterbacks coming into this season. Uh, kind of a dual threat guy who, who had a good season last year. Yeah, and he got Illinois to a bowl game, if that tells you anything. Yeah. They beat Wisconsin. So, yeah, right. Uh, and he was a guy who missed some action last year, too. He's dealt with concussions. Um, so, you know, that's something to kind of keep an eye on. But they do have four or five offensive line starters back, so hopefully they can protect him and keep him from getting his bell rung. Um, if he stays healthy, he's, a, he's an underrated guy, Andrew. I think he's a guy who's uh, got a lot of talent, started his career at Michigan, didn't really get a chance there. He got recruited over top of Shea Patterson. Came on. He moved, he went to Illinois and and was pretty successful last year. Uh, the the Northwestern Wildcats had one of the most horrific offenses I've ever seen last season. Uh, but you've got Peyton Ramsey uh, in at number seven uh, on this list. Why? Could be too low. I I readily admit that he did a nice job at Indiana. Was a permanent captain there last year. Uh, Michael Penix Jr., uh, who beat him out last year as the starting quarterback, got hurt. Peyton came back in and, and led that team to a bowl game. Uh, a lot of success. Really high p- completion percentage. Um, I like him a lot, and as you mentioned, Northwestern was atrocious last year on offense, and most of that can be attributed to really horrible quarterback play so to solidify that position uh makes northwestern a very interesting team for me with him being a fifth year starter or our fifth year senior excuse me graduate transfer um i'm intrigued to see what he can do with northwestern's offense well the guy that pushed him out of indiana is at number six michael Penix jr uh and man he he's got a high ceiling this kid could be good yeah, this kid is. This kid could be right behind Justin Fields um, on this list by the end of the year if he can stay healthy. That's the biggest question, though, Andrew. Can he stay healthy? Yeah. He takes a lot of hits. Um, he's got to kind of learn to not take absorb that type of punishment. Go out when you need to go out. Chuck the ball away when you need to chuck it away, and preserve and and live to to fight another play. So, um, really, just a really ultra left-handed kid, super talented, and you think about. Peyton Ramsey graduate transferring to Northwestern, that gives you an indication 
dedication, as good a season as Peyton Ramsey had last year, he still understands how talented Penix is. As we move to the top five, one thing that uh, unites all five of these is they're all on Iowa's schedule this season. <laughs> uh, this this is a, this would be a bit of a gauntlet for the Hawkeyes, certainly the Hawkeye defense going up against these uh, these quarterbacks. But at number five, you've got Nebraska's Adrian Martinez, who uh, just, just hasn't hit the hype that you know, hasn't hasn't capitalized, I guess, on on the hype yet. Uh, but but certainly has the talent to do so. And I think at, at some point we're going to see a a true breakout season for him one of these years. Yeah, he really brought the hype in last after that true freshman year, and then was amongst um, you know not just hyped, but you know in terms of being on the list of like in Las Vegas and under gambling, yeah. like he was on the Heisman Trophy list of. I don't want to say favorites, but he was among the the players being discussed for that award and just fell flat on his face last year. And, you know, a lot of that, I think, happened after he hurt his leg midway through the season. I guess I think it was against Northwestern. He missed a couple games and was just never the same after that. And he's a guy that needs to be able to use his legs. He needs to be able to threaten and um, pressure defenses as a dual threat quarterback. And when you take away one aspect of that, it just makes him that much less effective. Through 10 touchdowns with nine interceptions last year, he's got to be better in that regard. And he's got to be healthy enough to run and like with Penix you got to know when you know you know when to hold them and know when to fold them you know and if he keeps putting himself in harm's way in this conference if he's going to absorb that beating he's going to be on the sideline again and that makes Nebraska that much less effective moving to number four Sean Clifford from Penn State certainly didn't have a perfect season last year but had a pretty damn good one Uh, 11-2 season for for Penn State Uh, a a great cotton bowl where they what they scored 53 points Um, Sean Clifford and then Penn State they they're just Penn State at this point is just a, a very good solid program and and anybody they have behind Senate you got to think is going to be a threat yeah and he loses KJ Hamler which is a big loss to the NFL that was his main receiver Iowa fans will remember him last yep. year as kind of not the Saquon Barkley one-man wrecking crew but certainly a guy who um can impact a game so it'll be interesting to see how they replace him at receiver but Clifford's solid man he's just a solid uh I wouldn't call him dual threat but he certainly can do damage with his legs um and uh, kind of is in that mole of Trace, Trace McSorley. Uh, I don't think he's at that level and certainly doesn't have that kind of uh, that aura about him. Uh, but he's a really solid quarterback. And I thought when you when you walk in and you're replacing, you know, a guy who I, I think a lot of Penn State fans consider a legend in Trace McSorley, I thought he did really well. And it'll be interesting to see if he can take more steps going forward now that he's got a season under his belt. Um and, and work with a really talented offense. Well, as you say in your piece, uh, Jack Cohn from Wisconsin took the job and ran with it last year. Uh, you managed games, uh, got out of the way of uh, of Jonathan Taylor as, as Wisconsin went on to win another division title, another Rose Bowl berth. Uh, uh, it'll be a, there will be some sort of a competition as, as Graham Mertz is, is kind of the big recruit, but I think Jack Cohn, is, as you say in, the, in your piece, uh, is, is the guy this year and, and certainly uh, worthy of this top three ranking into the Big Ten. Yeah, completed almost 70% of his passes last year, 18 touchdowns, five picks. We talk about game manager, and sometimes that comes with a negative connotation. It shouldn't, and it particularly shouldn't in Jack Cohn's case, you know, with somebody as talented as Jonathan Taylor, you needed a quarterback to compliment him, and he did, he did just that. With Jonathan Taylor gone now, you're probably going to see more asked of Jack Cohn, and it'll be interesting to see uh, what if he can handle that and what type of running game uh, is there with him to, to keep the pressure off of him because obviously goes without saying Jonathan Taylor is a, a major loss for the program. Well, Tanner Morgan was handed the reins last summer after an injury up at Minnesota, and all he did with it was uh, have one of the best seasons Minnesota's had in decades. Uh, a really good player up there, and and you know, a daunting task for Iowa in at least as we sit here today is their first football game this season. Yeah, what a season. I mean, 3,200 yards, 30 touchdowns, and seven interceptions, second team all Big Ten. I mean, you could have made a lot of money trying to predict that before <laughs> last season because he was in a quarterback battle with Zach's Onyx, that the, the starter from the previous year. And now he's firmly entrenched as the starter. And, uh, you know, he lost Johnson to the NFL, uh, but he's got Rashad Bolton back and – 
Bateman, excuse me, back. He's got a lot of talent on that offense still coming back. Um, formidable offense with uh, – he's not exactly like Trace McSorley, but he kind of reminds me in mm. that makeup where he's just – you know he's a gamer and he's going he's gonna to put his body and everything on the line to win football games. He's a tough kid. He's, uh, he's uh, impressive and, and looking forward to seeing what he can do for an encore. And as we get to number one, a, a clear number one, a far and away favorite number one, a Heisman Trophy finalist. He's a, uh, uh, you know going to be first-team All-American, I'm sure, was first-team All-Conference last year. 41 touchdowns against only three interceptions through the air. Another 10 touchdowns on the ground. As you know in your column, first quarterback in Big Ten history with 40 passing and 10 rushing touchdowns in the same season. Justin Fields is a, an animal, uh, a, f- a first-round draft pick next season. By all accounts, uh, this kid is is just a stud. Yeah, it's hard to find a weakness in his game yeah. and, and his ability to, to stress defenses with his arm and his legs and just such a talented roster around him you know such a talented group uh, you know chris Alave, the receiver is going to be one of the top receivers in the country coming back uh he loses jk dobbins but my hunch is that ohio state's probably going to have a pretty good running back uh out there for the season so yeah i mean just uh just an incredible and this kid was originally committed to Penn State then he ended up decommitting and going to Georgia things didn't work out at Georgia ends up at Ohio State and the rich just get richer and uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can top the numbers he put up last year my gosh Um, because as you said 51 total touchdowns is incredible well we'll see how many games he has the opportunity to play and to to put up those numbers Rob uh, this has been fun as always especially these last 15 minutes or so just just turning everything else off and talking football. I appreciate that, and we'll try to do that in each and every podcast as we move forward, at least as long as we assume there's a football season. Uh, maybe if, if we get past that point, we can uh, start pretending that there will be a basketball season and, and have some fun talking about that. Uh, what's coming up on the site this week? What should people be looking out for? Uh, trying to dig in a little bit more with recruiting because we don't have a whole lot going on uh, from a team perspective. Uh, the, the Iowa does get back together today. Um, they return back to and today actually starts the I guess you'd call them mandatory mandatory workouts they get eight hours a week now with strength and conditioning I think they can do some film work maybe and some scouting and things like that still no on-field uh, participation between the coaches, but I think there's a little bit more co- contact between the regular coaching staff uh, beyond the strength and conditioning room uh, and players. So this is kind of the next phase that's starting today. So it'll be interesting to see how they navigate the next few weeks before the 24th, where they actually get to go onto the field uh, and um, uh, you know start to work on actual foot- on-field football uh, practicing. So real important stage here the next couple of weeks, Andrew. So hopefully maybe we can get some feedback out of what's coming out of the building there. Maybe get some press conferences. We're waiting on this report to come back. Uh, I've heard maybe this week, but maybe more likely next week. Mm-hmm. I know the goal is to wrap this thing up by the end of July, and I think ultimately they would like to get it done before that 24th uh, when they get on-field practicing. So something to keep an eye on there. And I'm going to do some more football preview stuff so we have something to talk about at the end of next week's podcast. Awesome. Love it. Thank you, Rob. As always, have a good week, my friend. Thank you, my man. Good to talk to you. All right. Thank you for listening and go Hawks.